This podcast is a production of Journey, a church community inspiring people to live big. For more information, please visit cincyjourney.org. Good morning. My name is Joe Merrick. I'm the lead pastor here at Journey. We're so excited that you are here with us today. We're starting a brand new series on uh, Romans chapter 8, and we are thrilled about that. Uh, if you are new with us today, we want to say uh, thank you for being here. Thank you for having the courage. Uh, we know it's not easy to walk into a new place, and so we want to make sure to say we appreciate that. We appreciate you being here. And uh, whether you are new or you've been around many times before, I want to encourage everyone to reach into the seat back in front of them. In there, you're going to find a Connect card. Uh, You can find one of these Connect cards, and uh, you can put uh, lots of information on that card, contact information. If you're new, we would love to uh, send just a small thank you in the mail to you this week. Um, But also, you can share prayer requests, other things that you might want us to know about. And so um, we want to make sure we encourage everyone, one person from every family, to fill one of those out for us today. With that shared, let me just pause and pray for us, and then we'll jump in. God, we are thankful. We are thankful to be here. We are thankful for your presence. God, we believe you are alive and moving right now. And God, we just pray that you stir in this place, that you stir in our Hearts. We sang this morning about you being our living hope, about you being um, the presence that we need in our life. We want to be overcome by that, God. Let that happen in our hearts, in our lives. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, like I shared, we're, uh, we're starting a brand new series on Romans chapter 8 this week, uh, and it's exciting. Uh, by many, Romans chapter 8 is described as probably one of the best, if not the best, chapter in the Bible, and so we're really excited to kind of focus in on that. Um, we just finished a parenting series, an incredibly important topic to our church and to our broader community. I know that um, it was a, a series I really enjoyed talking about. I had several moments where I said, I could be doing a better job with that. Uh, I hope you had some of those moments too. I learned a lot. I hope that you learned a lot. And so this month, we thought we would shift gears just a little bit. And we'd zoom in on just one chapter of the Bible, and we'd spend four weeks there and just kind of camp out and kind of discover what it has uh, to talk to us about. And so that's what we're going to do with Romans chapter 8. I think one of the exciting things about that is you know exactly where we're going to be all month long. And so uh, this would be a great series for you to uh, go home, read Romans chapter 8, read it once, twice, three times over the next several weeks. Uh, Really kind of engage with those uh, verses and those scriptures. But before we get too far into Romans 8, what I want to do this morning is I want to zoom out and talk about the why of this series for just 
a moment. Why we're talking about this chapter, why we're doing this. Uh, Over the last several weeks and months, uh, I have been gathering with leaders from around the church. We've been praying, talking about what God wants for us as a church. What's our next step? How, where's God leading us and directing us? And as we've kind of had those conversations and we're continuing to have them, one of the things that's been really clear is God is stirring and directing us to really take a, a season, a time, and focus on discipleship. Focus on us as a church growing our faith, our commitment to God. And so that's a theme we're going to come back to again and again. And one of the ways we do that is simply by interacting with Scripture. And so that's why we're focusing in on Romans 8 uh, this month. Before, again, we jump into that, though, I want to talk about what discipleship is. Because um, while if we were um, kind of taking a poll this morning about what's important, what should be important, I wouldn't be surprised at all if discipleship landed on a list of things that people thought was important about church. But if we also asked you to kind of define what that meant, some of us wouldn't know what to say. Other of us, of, of us would have a definition, we'd write it down, but if we read it, they would be different. We'd kind of be talking about some different things. And so what I wanted to do this morning is take just a moment and turn to some words from Jesus in how he describes discipleship, or at least calls some of his first disciples. Uh, for that, we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 4, verse 19 this morning. Um, Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. Just quickly this morning, um, Jesus here is walking along the beach, and he, is, uh, he's, he finds two fishermen, Simon and Andrew. Simon and Andrew, and he calls them into a discipling relationship. He calls them into discipleship. This might sound a little funny to us, but this is what Jesus says. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. All right, so there's three parts to that that I think describe discipleship. First, the follow me part. We have to follow Jesus. We have to have a moment in our life where we say, you know what, Uh, uh, God, you are what is important. I want you to define who I am, uh, direct my steps for Simon, for Andrew. That was the beach. They were kind of going about their business. They were casting their nets. They were fishing, and they had this encounter with Jesus. He calls to them, and they drop it right where they were, and they follow Jesus. We have to have a moment like that. We have to have a moment where we cross the line of faith, and we say, God, you're what matters to me, to my life. So we have to follow Jesus. Second thing that happens in that verse is we have to be changed by Jesus. We have to be changed by Jesus. Right in the middle of that verse, it's important to notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't walk up to Simon and Andrew and say, hey, you know what? You guys look like you have it together. You look educated and, and clean and, and like you've got it all uh, put together. You're, you're handsome. You look like the upwardly mobile kind of people I'd like to build an organization with. Jesus doesn't say that. Those are things that we would say. No, Jesus 
looks at this kind of ragtag duo, this uh, group of disciples that aren't impressive on their own. He says, I will make you. I will make you. In other words, Jesus is the one who's going to do the hard work. Once we follow him, he's the one who's going to change us. He's the one who's going to do the hard work. So we have to be changed by Jesus. And that's a kind of a continual process as well. We're being changed by who Jesus is. Then lastly, what we see happening here in this verse, what we see happening in, in kind of a definition of discipleship is we join Jesus in his mission. Join Jesus in his mission. The last part of that verse, I will make you what? Fishers of men, right? And that sounds strange to us. Jesus is kind of playing off of their occupation here, but he's also doing something else. He's inviting them. He's inviting them to participate. He's not just saying, hey, you know what? Come along with me. Uh, Follow me around. Maybe soak some things up. He's saying, no, I'm going to make you into something. I'm going to make you into fishers. And then I'm going to have you join me in my ministry. Join me in what God is doing in this world. The last part of discipleship is don't just follow Don't just get some personal insights. Don't just kind of soak some stuff up, but care. Care about God moving and working in your family, in your places of work, in your schools, in your neighborhoods, in your world. That's what Jesus invites us to. He invites us to uh, uh, join him in what he is doing. So there's three parts to discipleship, three essential parts. Following Jesus, having that moment of faith where we turn to him, that's essential. Having our heart and our life and our mind being changed by Jesus, that's something that continually needs to be happening in our lives. And joining him in his mission It's not just about us and what God does for us and inside of us. It's what God does through us in our community, in our world, in our family. That's what it means to be a disciple. All right. So today, if you've crossed the line of faith, if you've already made that decision, we're going to really kind of be working on that second piece, that second piece there, being changed by Jesus. If you've not yet crossed the line of faith this morning, what I want you to know is you're going to experience here, you're going to get a glimpse into some what are some really key concepts. If you're just trying to figure out church and God and what uh, this is all about, this morning you're going to hear some key concepts to what Christian faith is about. All right, so this morning we're going to start in Romans chapter 8, which we're going to be in all month long. And today we're looking at the first 11 verses, Romans 8, chapters 1 through 11. If you want to read along, you've got a phone, uh, if you've got uh, another smart device, but also uh, in your program today, we went ahead and printed those verses uh, in your program. We're going to be doing that all month, and the hope is that we just encourage you to interact with Scripture in a different way. 
And so this morning as I'm reading these verses, if you've got a pen, there's some pens in the seats in front of you, if you want to just underline some things, some words that that just kind of jump out at you so often, that's how God speaks to us. And so it's a really good habit to kind of just get in this morning, and I want to just encourage you in that this morning. So Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit has, of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of a sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature, they have their minds set on what that nature desires. But but those who live in accordance with, their, with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's laws, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, you, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. And if the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. So many things happening here in uh, these verses. So many things there. One of the first places where I like to start when I'm reading kind of a, uh, especially a longer section of scripture, is I like to start with the question, what's being addressed here? What are the issues? What's the issue here? What, What are the multiple issues that are getting addressed? What's the challenge? What problem is trying to, is being solved here? What questions getting answered? And to get that answer, we have to get a little more context of what's kind of happening uh, in, in Romans so far, at least for this first part. In the preceding chapters of, of Romans, especially in Romans chapter 7, sin gets a lot of attention from Paul. It's power in life. It's called death. It's called being a slave to the law. It's described in many different ways. Really, in the whole uh, seven chapters prior to chapter 8, but especially 
in chapters 14, or I'm sorry, in, in verses 14 and 15 of chapter 7. Paul says this, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. I'm sold as a slave to sin. Then he says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. We experience this same problem. We have the desire to do what we uh, uh, we have the desire to do what is right, but we have trouble carrying it out. It can be exhausting, exhausting to to live that way, wanting to do the right thing but not being able to do it. That word exhausting. That's something I want to just talk about for a few moments. Because when I have conversations with people, it's this phrase of being tired, being exhausted, just keeps coming up again and again. Sometimes it's because of the demands at work. Sometimes it's because life at home is crazy and hectic and we're trying to get kids here and there and do all of these things. But so many times... When I'm having a conversation with someone and and they're talking about being tired, about being exhausted, it seems like there's something deeper going on. Something deeper, something happening down in kind of a spiritual level. So many times it seems like we even get run down in our souls run down in our souls. And I think that's part of what Paul is describing here, right? I mean, we hear his frustration. I do not do what I want to do. And then the things that I do, I don't like, I hate them. I don't know why I do that, Paul says. So many times we feel the same way. We want to do what is right. We want to see our faith grow and expand. But we fall short. We fail. And we're left even more tired than before. All this leaves Paul to ask in Romans chapter 7, verse 24. Listen to these words. What a wretched man am I, he starts out saying. And then he says, who will rescue me from this body of death? Who will rescue me, he says. Uh, Who will free me from this uh, vicious cycle, this circle that just leaves me exhausted? Answer comes in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, I want to talk about verses 5 and 6 here specifically. It says this. Those who live according to the sinful nature, they have their minds set on what that nature desires. That's the old self. That's the selfishness. That's the greed. That's chapter 7. But those, those who live in accordance with the Spirit, they have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit, he says, is life in peace. Life in peace. In chapter 8, 
Paul begins to use this phrase that has really just been absent for the first seven chapters uh, of this book. He uses it once in the, in the very first uh, chapter, verse 4. The word is spirit. God's Holy Spirit, God's spirit. It's used only one time in the first seven chapters of Romans, but you get to chapter 8 and it's used 21 times. Verse, verses 1 through 11, part that we read today. If, you, if you've got your pen there and you're kind of following along, just start to circle how many times the word spirit gets used. Ten times I think it's referred to here in these first 11 verses. That marks a shift. It marks a shift in Paul's thinking in his writing, what we're focusing on here is verse 5 where he says, setting our minds on the Spirit. Because we know for, for Paul, the mind is this kind of key thing. It controls the emotions. It controls our actions. It's the center of the body. And so Paul wants the Spirit of God to enter our minds, to transform our minds, and thereby transform the way we think, the way we act, the way we feel. Paul describes this old way. This old way of living as death, as being a slave to the law. He describes this exhausting pattern of continually trying to do what is right, but doing it out of his own strength, his own ability, and failing again and again. And he just says, I'm tired. But now, with God's Spirit, with God in my heart, when I'm full of His Spirit, with my emotions and my thoughts centered on who God is, on His Spirit, with the Holy Spirit moving in me, Paul says. It's like I have a new power source. A new energy uh, source. Because with God's Spirit in me, Paul is describing it's just, just me trying to make the right decision, go in the right direction, and failing again and again. Paul says, No, I have God's Spirit moving, acting in me, coming out of me, guiding me. That's why in verse 10, Paul says, When Christ is in you, your spirit comes alive. Your spirit comes alive. If, if you've got your pen there, that's a word to underline. Uh, the spirit becomes alive because it's, it's this key to new strength. It's what Paul is describing here. This power source, the power of God being in your heart, the spirit of God being in you is changing everything for Paul. Paul is describing how God's Spirit is available to us all. So how does the Spirit come alive in us? How do we get plugged into this power source? Well, at first, we just ask. 
We ask God. 1 John 1, 9 says this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The verse. The verse has nothing to do with how spiritual we're feeling in the moment. That verse, it has nothing to do with how morally we've behaved over the last week or month or years. In reality, that verse has very little to do with us at all. God is the one who acts. God is the one who is faithful to forgive. God is the one who will fill us with his spirit. So this morning... This morning, if you're tired, if you're defeated by life and your spirit, ask God to, to fill. Ask God to fill you with his Holy Spirit. Or perhaps, perhaps today you, you've never talked to God before or never at least talked to God in that way before. Never asked for those kinds of things. But at some point you felt something stir. Something stir inside of you that said, yes, I need some of that. I need God's spirit in me. I need God's spirit in my life leading me, directing me, changing me. What I want you to know today is it's available to you. It's there. I'm going to talk about that, pray about that in just a few minutes. There are others here today. Others here and you're wondering, well, how do I know that God's spirit is in me? How do I, I mean, how do I really, how do I know that? I, I know I've asked, I know I've confessed my sins, but how do I know God's spirit is in me? To you, I would say this. The best evidence of God's spirit, of God's power in you is obedience. When we are doing what God says, we know God's spirit is in us. We can look all day uh, for big kind of dramatic events to happen in our lives. We can, um, uh, we can pray for a testimony that would bring a stadium full of people to tears. Sometimes God moves in those dramatic ways and we celebrate that. But more often than not, in most of our lives, God, God's spirit is most often seen in our daily obedience to him. In another part of the Bible, Paul wrote to this church in Galatia in chapters uh, 5, verses 21 and 22, and he says, the evidence of God's spirit in your life are these things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. 
Gentleness. These aren't things that come naturally to us. Those aren't things that we tend to celebrate in our society. We don't give, don't, we don't give a lot of awards for uh, self-control, for uh, patience. It's when our life, when our life is marked by those things, when our, uh, our life is marked by those things, when we can point to them in our days, when we have identified them as goals and objectives, things we want to see happen in our life, you can bet that is happening because God's Spirit is moving and active in us. Having joy. Joy you can't even explain. And when you're going through difficult situations, having the discipline to wake up early in the morning so you can spend time with God, so you can get things done, so you can spend time with people who matter to you. Stepping out of your comfort zone to have a spiritual conversation with a coworker, to start a conversation like that. Holding your tongue in an argument. This might not be dramatic. They might seem small, but they are tangible examples of God's spirit alive and working in you and me. This morning, if you're looking for some ways to, to take what we've talked about and, and turn it into some action steps. Okay, what do I do with this? One thing would be this. Maybe you could go back to this fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Could you make a list of those things and and just start thinking about, okay, well, how did I see this at work in my day today? How did I I see this at work in my week? Can I I point to some moments? Can I identify some things that were alive and working in me? And when the answer is yes, we celebrate that. When the answer is no, Say, God, God, can you fill me with some patience? I know it's something you call me to. I know it's not something that is naturally in me. And so when I see it show up in my life, I'm going to celebrate because I know that's you working through me. Say, God, can, can you bring me some faithfulness? God, can you bring me some some peace? So often I tend to worry. Can you bring me peace, God? Can you bring me joy? Because I know there are people in my life, in my family, in the cubicle next to me that need to see joy at work in somebody's life. Can you help that happen in my heart, in my life? Because here's what we know. God's spirit, God's spirit isn't reserved 
God's Spirit wants to help. God's Holy Spirit wants to to come and help you and me do all of those things, see all of those things in our life overflowing from us. If we pray about that today. God, in this chapter of the Bible, you talk to us about some things that are so important. Talk to us about how so often we just try and do the best we can. We try and do what is right. We try and do all these things. But the problem is we're continually trying to do it out of our strength, out of our energy, out of just who we are, God, in we know. To truly be who you have called us to be, we need your spirit. We need it all inside of us. This morning, God, if there are those here amongst us who have a need, a need in their heart, in their life to be filled with you. They said, you know what, God, I need to cross that line of faith. I need God, you in me. I need you to take over me. I need you to fill me, God. We know that you are a prayer away. We know from the passage in 1 John that we read today, God, that all we have to do is confess confess our brokenness and our failure and our sin. It says in that verse that when we do that, that you are faithful when we're unfaithful. And you're faithful to forgive, to wash that away, and you're faithful to fill us in those moments with your spirit. And God, that's what I pray happens. And if we haven't crossed the line of faith, if, if we need to make that decision today, God, that, that we name those things. We name those things and, yeah, where we've fallen away from you, who, who you want us to be, who we want us to be, God. And we say, today I'm going to follow. God, there are people here who would describe themselves as tired. And that might be because of work, it might be because of uh, home, it might be because of a variety of issues, but God, if that tiredness has seeped into our souls, you tell us. You tell us to ask. Tell us to ask and to be filled with you and your spirit because God, uh, what gets described here is your spirit is being a power source to, to charge us up. So there are people here who need to pray that, God. You need to pray that they get plugged into you and your spirit and their spirit gets rejuvenated and their energy level comes back up. Not just because they have another assignment, another busy week, God, but because 
of what you're calling them to do. God, if there are people here who are saying this morning, I need joy, I need peace, I need patience, I need some of this fruit that is described here in Galatians, I need to show up in my life. God, we know your spirit is not reserved. It's not holding back. Your Holy Spirit, it wants to flood us and fill us. My prayer right now is that happens all across this room, all in our hearts. In your name we pray, amen.